Well, it's great to have you. Thanks, thanks for being at Grace. We just heard announcements from Kaylee Wynn, which is actually Carter's wife, who does the music at Paulding and sometimes here, but I just thought I'd make that connection for you. Memorial Day, uh, to, uh, Memorial Day weekend, I should say. Tomorrow is Memorial Day when we honor uh, those who have died in, our, uh, in service to our country, keeping our uh, country free. So we want to keep that in mind as we celebrate Memorial Day weekend. And along with that comes uh, Indy 500. That, that's, can you believe Forrest took a day of vacation to go to the Indy 500? You know, he's all about Indy. I mean, I got to tell you. He, and, and if you're watching today, among the 300,000 people in the sold-out attendance at the Indy 500, Forrest will be sitting on the inside of turn two on a hill of grass. He's in the infield, so look for Forrest. And uh, another thing that's happening is today, uh, Jake Wookie, a member of Grace, is shooting in the, the Gator Cup. He actually, yesterday, I, I think he came in either, for, he was shooting for the gold medal round, either first or second, but that really doesn't matter for the Olympics. It's the top three. He's sitting at like number four or five, so he's got his work cut out for him. That's happening today, and tomorrow will be the deciding factor for that, and so we want to remember that. And then... Luke and Rachel, uh, Luke got married last Sunday. He's back from his honeymoon in Cancun, and uh, I assume he brought Rachel back. I haven't seen her yet, but, uh, but maybe we'll see her sing next week. I don't know, but uh, cool stuff there. So let, let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness, and, and Lord, as we, we think about uh, Memorial Day, the day that we honor those who gave the ultimate sacrifice their lives in service to us as a country and our freedom. God, we thank you for that, and we pray that you'd bless their families uh, who have missed them. And, uh, Lord, uh, we just thank you for, for people like that, like those who serve and, uh, and are willing to put their lives on the line. Father, we also pray for, for Jake and... Uh, Lord, we know it's his desire to honor you and everything he does and to represent you. And we pray that you'd help him to, to shoot well uh, this morning and this afternoon, tomorrow. Uh, Lord, and, and that whatever he does will ultimately bring honor and glory to you. And, and Lord, we, we thank you for the staff that you've given us. And uh, thank you for the celebration Luke and Rachel got to have this last week. And Lord, help us to learn and focus on you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we started a new series called Bloodline last, last Sunday, and we talked about how God has established a way, a, a bloodline, uh, for his people uh, to be reconciled to him. And when we see the beginnings of that in the garden, and all that, the whole Old Testament all points to the coming of Christ, which at that time was still yet future. And, and a lot of times we view the books of the Bible as kind of different stories, but really the whole Bible, all the books together is about one epic story about how God created, how sin entered the world and, and we mess things up. And, and the whole Bible is about God's pursuit of us in order to reconcile us to his holiness, in order to reconcile sinful people back to him that's really the story of the Bible. And so if somebody asks you that, you could just kind of to give them that. Today we're, we're talking about a man named Abraham. Abraham is 
the first patriarch. Uh, what happens is after the garden, people multiply, things get a little dicey, they turn from God, God sends a flood, pretty much wipes everybody out, but one family, Noah's family, they start all over, people start having babies and repopulating the earth, and then God chooses one man, Abraham, and his family. He, he makes out of Abraham, he, he chooses a nation, a people, that will be his special people that will find out and discover that God will reveal himself to, and then they, the intention was that they would share that news with the world. And so God choosing Abraham it's huge, it's big, but as we look at his life, I want us basically to answer three simple questions. We're going to keep it simple. One is, who was Abraham? We'll get that. What did he do? What's his life all about? And then, how did God use him in a unique way? So that's what we're working through, and we're going to start off with who was Abraham, and it's interesting that as we deal with that, we, we find out that all through Scripture, um, we have these little bits and pieces that keep pointing us to God's solution to our biggest problem. But in Abraham's life, something happens in his life that's so severe, so traumatic. It's one of the hardest stories to read in the Bible, yet... It's one that has maybe the fullest shadow, almost a complete shadow or a complete picture of what God is going to do in the future. And so we're going to land on that story, one of the most remarkable stories in Scripture, heart-wrenching, severe story. We'll look at that before we're done. But first, who was Abraham? Well, we get introduced to Abraham in Genesis chapter 11, but then it's really chapter 12 that the story of, of the Old Testament Genesis swings his way. When we're first introduced to Abraham, his name is Abram. And there's a few characters in the Bible, people that lived where God actually changed their name. Same thing happened to Paul, you know, Saul to Paul. And, and we kind of get that. Um, that wouldn't be so surprising, not so surprising in the Bible, because a lot of us have experienced that same kind of change. After we became believers, it's like we've become totally different people, right? Actually, there's an ancient story about a follower of Christ named Augustine. And Augustine was kind of a party animal in ancient times, uh, you know, drank a lot, was with a lot of women, and, and he became a believer. And he was actually in a, a city, and while he was there, he was in the marketplace, and one of his, a, a woman who was a former lover of Augustine's recognized him, and she calls out to him. And he kind of hears her and, and, and looks, but he actually keeps going another way. And, and so she's thinking, oh, he must not have recognized me. So she calls out even louder, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And then he turned to her and says, yes, it's you, but it is not I. And what he's saying there is I'm not the same person that I used to be and and a lot of us can identify with that kind of a story. Now, I'm a believer. My life has been changed. Well, here in Genesis, as we start off in chapter 12, God chooses Abraham. And with that comes this amazing promise. And we'll start off 
In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, if you want to follow along there, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. First of all, this is a continuation of the promise that we saw last week in the garden with the curse of the serpent. You know, there's going to be one of Eve's offspring, her lineage, her descendants that will crush the serpent's head. This is how this story kind of continues in a unified theme. And God chooses Abraham and he makes this amazing promise that was very significant It's significant today, but even more significant in ancient times. It says to Abraham, who's married to Sarah and is childless, he basically says, I'm going to give you offspring and I'm going to make you into a great nation. He says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. But the main thing there is for Abraham is he's going to have a child. Huge. This is huge. As big as that is for us today, in ancient times it was even more so because Your children were the ones, for example, when you got older, that would take care of you. There's no social security, no safety nets. So having children was essential for you to kind of live out your old age with dignity. And not only that, your whole lineage, your family's name, it all rested. It all kind of rode on this fact of uh, your, your family, And so that was huge. And so he gets this blessing. He he gets this huge promise of grace that he doesn't deserve. God just chooses him and uh, and offers him this. And then he sends Abraham. It's kind of funny the way God kind of interacts with Abraham. Because he says, hey, I'm going to send you to this land. And Abraham's like, well, where is this land? And God's just like, start walking. You know, just go. And, uh, And then later he promises... Well, he promises him a son, and Abraham's always like, uh, you know, well, when? When am I going to have this? I'll let you know. You know, it's just obey and, and go. So that's who Abraham is, and, and he's got an interesting life. You can read through that in Genesis. Um, he gets to this land that God set aside, which is Palestine or modern-day Israel. He actually ends up taking his nephew Lot. They both, God starts blessing them both, and they both become wealthy, and they're, they're herdsmen. They have a lot of herds, a lot of people working for them. They kind of start some strife. The two groups are too big to be together. And so Abraham generously and famously kind of offers to Lot, hey, we're going to have to split up. You know, we're, we're too big to be together. Here's this really nice land over here, and here's this kind of barren land. You pick whichever you, way you go, I'll go the other way. And so Lot picks the nice land, and, and Abraham in faith says, no problem, and he goes the other way. And, and so we can see his faith even then. That's Genesis 13. And, and then there's a whole story about Lot kind of getting in trouble. And a couple chapters later, Abraham kind of leads a paramilitary rescue of Lot where some kings came in, took him prisoner. He gets some hired men, goes out after him, is able to defeat that enemy, rescue these people Back And so all that happens. He actually comes back from that. And no doubt, even though he's had victory now, 
Abraham, who kind of had no enemies, now has a bunch of enemies. He, that was a five-king coalition that he kind of went up against. And so things are a little different. But God kind of reaffirms at that point when he returns uh, to his home his blessing. As a matter of fact, God says to Abraham, do not fear. I'm your shield. Uh, your reward will be very great. And, and immediately as God's blessing him, Abraham kind of has these issues with God. And so God said, hey, don't be afraid. Everything's going to go off. And, and Abraham said, whoa, whoa, time out. You said I was going to have a son. I'm getting old. Time's running out. What's the deal? What's going on there? And, uh, and at that time, God invites Abraham out of his tent to look at the stars. And uh, I always imagine that as a cloudless night. I mean, have you, you know, and, and he's just, I, I remember one time, being up in the mountains several times, one time in particular, we're coming out of Yellowstone. We were just on a dirt road way on top of a mountain, just driving along. It got late and uh, stopping. And then there was nothing was there, just a, like a, just a gravel road. But I just pulled out my sleeping bag, unrolled it, and slept the night there. And the stars, a perfectly cloudless night. We said, I mean, they were shining. It's like you can reach out. And grab them, super bright, less atmosphere, way up on the mountains. Just, and then just this dome, through, you know, it's just everywhere. It's just very cool. But anyway, you guys have all experienced that. You know what I'm talking about. That's what God does to Abraham. Look at the stars. That's how your descendants are going to be. And so he, he kind of reaffirms this promise to Abraham because Abraham's kind of waffling, not seeing how this is going to happen. Well, now fast forward a few more years. Still no child. This is what God promised Abram before he even came. This is decades later. Still no child. And so Sarah comes up with a plan that she's going to have Abraham sleep with her handmaid. And then she'll bear a child and kind of for Sarah. And they'll kind of do it that way. And so she presents the plan to Abraham. He's like, okay. And so he does it, and sure enough, a child is born, Ishmael, but that wasn't God's plan. And, and they still wait. As a matter of fact, it's over another decade that finally Sarah has a son, and his name is Isaac. They're in their 90s. I mean, it's a miracle. And finally, God's come through with this promise. Decades and decades and decades and decades of waiting. And now, God has done it. That's who, that's who Abraham is. Um, even though Abraham is chosen by God... Even though God has chosen uh, to, to just pour blessing and promise out on Abraham. You know, he still had his ups and downs, right? Questioning God, when's this going to happen? And one time, he and his wife, were, because of a famine, were going down to Egypt. And Sarah was a beautiful woman, his wife. And before he gets there, um, Abraham, in his lack of faith that God would take care of him, he decides, boy, I'm going to go down there. Sarah's so beautiful. They'll kill me just so they can have her because I'm her husband. So he comes up with this plan. We're just going to say we're brother and sister. And then so Abraham's safe. 
Now, you got to notice something, though. Abraham's safe. That's not making Sarah any less attractive, right? That's not solving any of Sarah's problems. It's keeping Abraham safe, but... You know, and so we see that even Abraham, who, who's got this incredible track record of obedience, there's ups and downs. He actually does that another time. Years later with another king, same thing. It's like, and these kings are, these pagan kings are correcting Abraham on the way he should do right and wrong. And I say that because a lot of times I talk to people and they you know, and they'll say, Kevin, man, I'm just up and down. You know, my spiritual life, it's just, I'm not always hitting on every cylinder. And it's like, yeah, I, I get that. Here's Abraham. Maybe one of the most, most obedient God followers that we have a record of who, who passed the most harsh, severe test for God. He had ups and downs. So we get it. Well, if that's who Abraham was, the next question is, well, what did he do? I mean, what's his track record? Well, as I said, first of all, we have to recognize that Abraham was, even though he had ups and downs, was incredibly obedient. I mean, the guy was a serious God follower. And we read about that. And basically, his life came down to this. Abraham answered the question, that I think we all struggle with at some point or another. Abraham answered this question rock solid at some point in his life and lived that through for the most part. And that question is this, is God your God or is God your servant? Abraham knew God is my God. He is not my servant. And we see that flowing out of his life. And that's the same question, by the way, we, we need to answer. Is God your God? Or are you trying to make God your servant? Well, let me take you to the most severe test that I think anybody's ever had from God. It's in Genesis chapter 22. And it goes through verse 14. Here's, here's what it says. And now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I'll tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and he rose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, saying, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. 
So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do, not, and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, one of the greatest stories in the Bible, but how many of you think this is kind of a, a cringe story? I mean, you're just reading this and you're going, whoa, do not get this. This doesn't sound like God. Asking, there's no human sacrifice. He's against human sacrifice. What's going on here? This never happened before. You know, what's happening? Now, of course, when we read it, we get the first sentence in the chapter that tells us what's going on. Of course, Abraham didn't know that where it says, and God tempt, tested Abraham. He tested Abraham. He's checking Abraham's faith. God doesn't need a sacrifice. God doesn't want a sacrifice. This is all really a test for Abraham to see how he's going to respond. I think it's the same thing that we talk a lot about here at Grace. It's the bike wheel. Remember the bike wheel? I've used this before in case you're new. It's like God is coming to Abraham and he's saying, hey, only one thing could be in the middle of your heart. The, every human heart's like a bike wheel. We have all these things, all these spokes, all these different things that are all around the perimeter of our life, but only one thing can be in the center. And here, Abraham, after uh, getting Isaac a son, God's testing him to say, now who's in the center? And so we realize this in every day of our life. It's the same thing. What's in the center of our life? Because anything that's in the center that is not God will not hold up for us. It will not work. It could be anything. It could be food. If food becomes the center of our lives, what, what do we call that? We call it an eating disorder. And I know there, there's some complex issues with that besides food. But the point is, why do we call that a disorder? Because we all kind of have this understanding that food cannot or should not be at the center of your life, right? Or, or we, we have common terminology. If, if the center of your life is a job, we call that being a workaholic. And along with that is this whole point of your life's out of balance. Something's wrong. Other things are suffering. You're a workaholic. But what else could happen is a, especially a father or a mother, they can put their child in the center. For Abraham, this is potentially huge. 
For Abraham, his child, it's, in the ancient world, children were everything. I mean, no social security. I mean, they, they had to rely on their kids. I mean, there's this whole law of primogeniture, which basically says the firstborn got a double portion. He was the automatic head of the family, would assume headship. And there was reasons for all that, because back then inheritances and wealth was all tied to the land. And as people kept dividing it, every time they had children, that land would get smaller and smaller, and pretty soon it wouldn't be able to provide for anyone. This whole law of progenitor, this law of the firstborn, was so that the firstborn son would get a double portion, but he would be the representative of the family, and then he would be a one, the one that the family would coalesce around so that they could keep their land together and make it productive and be able to provide for everyone. He was the head. He was the legacy. He, he was central. And so God's testing Abraham to see Isaac, your one, your only son, has he replaced me in the middle? That's kind of what's, what's going on here. And he's, God's trying to, to get into to Abraham's head. And I think all of our heads as we read the story that I'm God. I belong right here. But by the way, this is why a bunch of people don't want to become Christians. Because you're, you're telling them about the gospel, how we've all offended God by doing wrong, I mean, I don't want to be in it in some petty way. We've all done wrong things. God is perfectly just. God says, well, crime, there's a punishment. You have to pay for that. And, and the payment for our wrong is severe. And, and God's, the whole story of the Bible is God making a way for us. But the problem is you start explaining that to somebody and say you have to make a decision to make. You can come back to God by faith or by trusting in, in Christ alone. And then a lot of times, if you've ever talked to somebody, a lot of times people are responding and say, well, then do I have to give up this? Because they start understanding, oh, God. Oh, there's a God. And oh, I'm going to become his follower. Oh, well, that may have some implications in some other areas of my life. And so they'll start, well, if I become a Christian, do I have to give up and then fill in the blank? And a lot of times we'll answer with something to say, well, yeah, but it won't just be you doing it. You'll be a God follower and, and you'll work all that out later. The most important thing is you need to make this decision, you know, or something like that. But they're making a great point. They're seeing something that's very accurate. Can something else be in the center of my life? Can I be a Christian without giving up this? Here's a working definition of God. Whatever's the non-negotiable in your life, that's your God. Whatever you're saying, I cannot live without this, that's your God. You know, and, and God's saying, it doesn't work that. It's not even good for you to do that. It will eventually destroy you is what God is saying. I'll come to God as long as it's okay if I can still do this. But see, when people say that, here's what they're saying. What they're saying is, I already have a God. And so if I can become a, if I can become a Christian and God will exist here on the peripheral of my life and support and help my God, then okay. 
But if I have to take God and put him in the center and rip that other thing out, uh, I don't think I can do that. This is why people sometimes become Christians when they're in a crisis. Because they're in some crisis and all of a sudden their center is rocked. Or it's gone. Or they find that it's unstable, that it can't bear the weight of their life. And all of a sudden, they're missing a center and they're realizing what should be there. And then it makes sense. Oh, God should be there. God is the only thing that, that you were created to have in the center of your life. And so I think God is using Abraham to teach all of us about this issue God says, I have to be in the center because I'm your God, not your servant. That's what Abraham's life is, is all about. So how did God use him? Well, God used him to, to, to get us to, to see that. You see, through the life of, of Abraham and this story, God solves this tension between this promise of grace and the problem of sin or the problem of the debt that we owe. You see, I mentioned that law of the firstborn. What's significant about that is in the Old Testament, it was always if you followed God that you gave the first of what you had kind of as representative, your best and the first back to God. So the first of your produce that went to God as an offering, the first of your the, the firstborn of your animals was owed to God. And your firstborn son was also owed to God, but you could redeem him with a specified sacrifice. So Abraham is heading up the mountain. And, he real, and, and God's calling for the sacrifice of his sin. The thing is, is Abraham knows that's the just thing. That that's actually right legally. That he owes God a debt and this is the debt. And the reason the firstborn, because he represented the whole family. So his sacrifice then was for the family. So Abraham gets all that. But he also gets... That he, through grace, he's given this promise of grace that he had be given a son, that his son would, would produce all these offspring, that he would become a great name and a great nation. So Abraham's struggling with this, but his faith propels him to go and to be obedient to God. Great faith. And as we read the story, it's almost like it starts slowing down into slow motion. And he gets the wood, you know, and he carries, and, and Isaac asks, where's the sacrifice? And he, he grabs the knife, and he stretches out his, it, it's like everything bogs down, and you can just see Abraham agonizing about what's happening. And, and it, what he's thinking is, he has so much faith, he's saying, somehow God's going to make a way. I don't know how he's going to do it, I'm not sure, but somehow God's going to make this okay, that I'm going to be able to pay this debt, but his promise of grace will still come through. And that's exactly what happened. God provides a way. And God uses Abraham to show us 
how to solve this tension between the promise of grace and the problem of the debt that we owe and how those things mesh. God doesn't need a human sacrifice, does it? God doesn't want a human sacrifice. God was the one religion in ancient times that said that it was wrong to, to make human sacrifices. What's going on? He's testing Abraham and testing his obedience. And Abraham, he's wrestling with this. And he has faith that somehow God's going to do both. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews talks about Abraham and he says this about him. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. The writer said, this makes no sense. He's supposed to be a great nation, but here he's offering up his only son. He continues and says, and it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, for which he also received him back as a type. What's going on? Abraham is there going, I, I don't know how God's going to do this. Maybe, maybe God will just raise him from the dead. But I have faith in God that if I'm obedient, somehow God makes this work. Somehow Isaac is spared. And he goes right, right to the end. And God does provide. He provides us sacrifice. He stops him. He provides us ram caught in a thicket and there's a substitute that God gives to Abraham to sacrifice instead of his son the interesting thing about this is this is happening on a place called Mount Moriah 2,000 years after Abraham another father Watches his son struggle up a hill, carrying wood on his back, the wooden crossbeam of the cross. And when he got to the top of the hill, he was laid on the wood and nailed to it. But this time, the hand wasn't stayed this time there was no ram to substitute this time the son bled and was a sacrifice for the world and it's Isaac's Sacrifice Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac and sacrifice the ram, that is a shadow of what Christ would do 2,000 years later. Remember, at the beginning of Christ's ministry, he comes in contact with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is baptizing. He sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of of the world. And that's exactly what happened 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years after Abraham. Jesus Christ 
was the ultimate and per- perfect sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice to take away our sin. And the question is, have you responded to God's offer to reconcile sinful you and me to righteous God? Because our sin has to be paid for. Somebody has to pay, and that's either us or Jesus. And if you want Jesus to be your sin bearer, your sacrifice, you have to respond to God in faith. You can't earn it. You can't do anything. God's offering it to you free, but you have to take it. You have to receive it. You have to respond to his offer in faith or trust. And you respond in faith by believing who Jesus is and and putting your trust on what Christ did on the cross of Calvary as your full and final payment for your life time of sin and that's the most important decision that you will ever make this morning we're going to kind of wrap things up by Jay uh, singing a song for us and I want to use the time of this song to kind of do old school invitation time and so if, if you're here and you're not sure that you place your trust in Christ and Christ alone, that's the most important thing. We want you to contemplate that during the song. And if you want somebody to talk to, uh, I'll be there and some of the other pastors will be back in, in room one. That's to the left on your way out. Right there, the double doors clearly marked. Just come on in. Uh, if you have a short time, we'll just give you some information to, to read in your own home. If you have a little more time, we'll talk to you and answer any question that you have. But here's a challenge for Christians. What happens in our lives is we come to Christ. And then things get busy. Life gets messy. And other things start crowding God for the center. And every once in a while we need to stop. We need to recognize that. And we need to get that right. And reaffirm that God is our God and not our servant. Or sometimes we just drift. And all of a sudden, the center is just a, a little fuzzy. And, and, and we're doing life and we're trying not to violate this. But really, we're, we're just, we don't have the relationship. We're, we don't have the tie into the center. The spokes get a little wobbly and we need to reaffirm that commitment. So whatever your situation this morning whether you need to come to Christ for the first time, most important decision you can ever make, or whether as a Christian you're just reaffirming that God is your center, that he's your God and not your servant, and you're determined to follow him, to be obedient. Whatever it is, let's open our hearts and respond to God. Um, I want to stand, I'll I'll pray, and then Jay will sing and, and during the song. As our hearts are open to God, I just want you to feel the freedom to respond. And, and I know you can pray at your seat and all that, but some, and, and please do that. I want all of us to be praying during, during this time. Let's just do a heart check. And sometimes it helps just to, to do something a little more public, to come down, to kneel down. I mean, if it's your center, this is not a problem. Just to help us to remember 
the decision that we made today, the reaffirmation that God's in the right spot in our life. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us. And God, we owe you everything. We understand that. And Father, we know that there are our friends and people here with us that are just like us. They're sinners separated from you. Lord, but they've not made this decision to be reconnected. And God, we pray that they would, that, that you draw them to yourself, that you'd help them to see, Lord, their sin and rebellion against you that we've all done. But then the way you've solved this tension, that you can, even though they owe this debt, you can give them grace. And Father, for the rest of us who are believers, Lord, that we would take a hard look and examine our own hearts and and just reaffirm our commitment to you that you're our God and not our servant. In Christ's name, amen.